in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. Got down to about verse 10 last time. And I guess just the nature of teaching, you, you look in a lot of different avenues and sometimes you get uh, maybe away from the direct line of text. So what I'd like to do is just quickly go back to verse 1. Let's just review what John has said as he said it, and then we'll pick up there in 10, 11, and 12. So, uh, we've been introduced to the Word, the divine Logos of God. So, we've got no reference to Jesus. He's not named Jesus. Um, so, what he's doing is setting the tone here. Who is this gospel about? Not just a man, you know, especially in the day that this is written and a man picks this up to read, it, their mind is like all the other men. Well, this was the son of Joseph and here's his brothers and he lived over here in this house and, and he was really just a man like me and you. But John is revealing to us uh, through words of great wisdom that this was the divine Word of God that was with God, that was a part of the Godhead that was there in creation. All things were made by Him. He was the means that God created all things. And it's by Him that all things consist. So He is, in Him was life. The life was the light of men. So there was no life apart from the Word of God. And it was from Him that everything, received life. From the highest angel to the lowest worm, nothing lives without Him. Nothing exists without Him. Without Him, there's no continuance of our world today. He didn't get it started and let it go, and now man is self-sufficient, but He is. it's by His power, by His authority, by His keeping... Maybe that's a bad word for that. But He's the one that keeps all things and gives life unto all men. We have that in the book of Acts. And so it's His power and authority and glory that we have creation as it is. And this life was the light of men. So that word means to shine, to make manifest, luminousness. So in His life, there was a light given to men. Now we know in creation, the Word of God brought about light upon the earth. There was nothing but darkness before, and through the Word there came illumination. So that's true naturally. Without the Word, there's no light. There's no sun. There's no, there's no creation. It's also true spiritually. Without the divine Word of God, you know, that's how God's revealed Himself. That's how we, we know of God today is through the, the written, pinned-down Word of God as was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so the Word of God gave man a conscience, an awareness of good and evil. Now I realize that can be seared. But if it wasn't for the Word of God, and man's fallen condition, then where would man be? 
if God let loose of His restraint of man, would there be a conscience of evil? If I can sear my conscience with a hot iron, then where's man going to be without God? So you see, man's, man's got an, even a basic awareness of good and evil, right and wrong, and that comes from God Himself. Because without God's uh, uh, withholding, without God's prevention, man's plunging deeper and deeper into wickedness. And the light shineth in darkness, the darkness comprehended it not. So that word comprehend, it leads you to think of understand. That's not what the word means at all. It means to seize or to take hold of. Really to subdue, I think. You could say that and it would be accurate as well. So in the beginning, God said, let there be light. There was no battle between light and darkness as to who was going to overcome. When you go into your bedroom tonight and you turn the light on, it doesn't take five minutes for the light to overcome the darkness. The darkness has no power and no authority and no rule over the light. And we said last time or the time before, darkness isn't anything. It's not a... Darkness is not a a, a being. It's the absence of light. And so when light comes in, the darkness cannot seize that. That's true naturally. It's also true of the incarnation. The light came unto man... And the darkness, I believe Satan done all that he had power and used all that he had authority to do to resist and to stop the light, the Word of God from accomplishing his mission and he was not successful. The darkness was unable to seize the light and stop it from shining. So we've got a hint here. The Word of God is going to conquer. We see in Revelation, the Word of God, He goes forth conquering and to conquer. It's not a, we've got to wait and see whether it happens or not. The Word of God will overcome and conquer. And you've got to be careful. If, if you paint the picture of, well, the Word of God today is at war with the devil and we're not sure whether he's going to win or not. Whether that's out in the world or in people's hearts now. If I say the words at war with the devil in your heart and we don't know who's going to win, think about what you're saying. You're telling me that the darkness is going to overcome the light. Now that can't happen. Can't happen. The light will overcome So there was a man sent from God in all of the Gospels. We've got John the Baptist. This was God's chosen man. He was going to be the last of the prophets. You know, the prophets prophesied and they told of sin, they told of judgment, they told of wrath. They prophesied in the future of a Messiah that was coming to bring redemption. And I I believe as man looked at the Old Testament back through the years, they saw a lot of things. When Israel was captive in Babylon and they read about a Messiah that was coming, I believe they dreamed about being out of Babylon. 
I believe that was the application that they put there. When they were oppressed by the Moabites and they they read about the prophet that was like Moses, I believe they thought he's coming like Moses did and delivered us from the Egyptians. He's going to come deliver us from Moab. Don't, don't, can you see that? Depending on the situation that they were in, that's the Messiah they were looking for deliverance from. And so here, in this day, Jerusalem and Israel is under the authority and leadership of Rome. They can't act on their own accord. They're under the rule of the Romans. So wouldn't you say that in this day, as they read those prophecies, they thought, well, there's going to come one that's going to deliver us from Rome and going to set us back on the throne of the whole world. They wanted deliverance from the oppression of man. And John the Baptist is going to come and preach of a deliverance, the true deliverance that's needed. Because man's in darkness, he can't see his spiritual condition. But the gospel calls out what the real need is. Whether it's the harlots and the publicans and the sinners or the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, John preached the same message to all of them. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Messiah is nigh the door. Not as Isaiah saw 700 years down the road, but He's here. He's among us. And here He is. John's going to point Him out. So the last of the prophets. But you know, we've, we've got to understand who He is. I realize we don't have any trouble with that. But here we talked about the miraculous situation at John's birth. His parents were old. Zacharias was in the temple. He's offering his uh, incense as his duty was at the time of prayer. The angel appears to him, tells him what's going to happen. He disbelieves and the angel shuts his mouth. says, you're not going to speak a word from now till he's born. You're going to see this come to pass. And so then the old lady Elizabeth winds up pregnant. They bring forth a son. Zacharias writes his name that the angel told him. John... God opens His mouth and He sings the praise of the Lord that's bringing about this plan of salvation for His people. So a lot of to-do around John the Baptist, really even before his birth. And then John steps out into ministry. He's out in the wilderness. He's unlike anything that they've ever seen before in the way that he dresses, in the way that he eats, and where that he lives, and he's preaching repentance, and he's baptizing people in the water. So you can see that there might be confusion. Well, who is this man then? Well, John was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. John's mission was to point towards the Lord Jesus. You know where your eyes need to look? You need to look to Him. John the Baptist never sought any glory for himself. Again, you see my tendency to run rabbits and talk more than I ought to. And that's what I'm trying not to do. So let's, let's move on. He came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through Him might believe. Courtroom words. He came for a witness, evidence given. This is evidence entered in the trial. And to bear witness, he's testifying. 
So he's giving testimonial eyewitness evidence of who the Word of God is. What he's doing is he's taking, here's a man now, a man that we grew up with, that we went to school with, a man that we know his brothers and we know his mama and we know his daddy and we think, well, he was probably born out of wedlock and maybe Joseph was the dad. Maybe We, we just don't know. We don't know what to make of this man because he looks like you and me. He's a man. But what John the Baptist is doing is providing evidence and giving witness that this is not just a man. This is the one that God prophesied of from the very beginning. He's telling man this is the Son of God. That's why John came. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So the Lord Jesus was the true light. John was pointing to the light. He was bearing witness of the light. But to come to John, if John's the one you come to, John's the one you look to, John's the one you repent to, you've missed John's message. I'm afraid that happens a whole lot. Whether it's influenced by man or it's mistaken in the mind of the congregation. I think a lot of times moves are made, things are said to please the man. John the Baptist was not the light. John the Baptist was the greatest among men. Of man born of a woman, there's none greater than John the Baptist. That's the words of the Lord Jesus. But you know all he was? A witness of the light. There's nothing more that can be said of a man today. He's a witness of the light. He's not the light. He's not illuminating hearts. He's not drawing people to Christ. He's not converting them himself, but he's bearing witness of the light. This is the light's work. And so, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So if there is any knowledge... It came from the Son of God. He's the source of all light and of all understanding. And you know, our lost world, let's just say our lost country, our lost community, there's a knowledge of sin, there's a knowledge of judgment, there's a knowledge of hell, there's a knowledge of heaven, whether they come and sit under the gospel or not whether they've ever come to church in their life or not. Everybody's got that basic understanding. You know where that knowledge came from? <coughs> it came from the light. If the light's taken out, then there's no understanding. Man's good the way he is, and there's no judgment to fear. So if, if man is going to have light, and we're talking spiritual light, if man is going to be illuminated to the truth, then Christ, the Word of God, is the source of that illumination. Study and degrees and doctorates and devoting myself 
and doing all of this work. You know, that's what the scribes and Pharisees did day after day. And it did not illuminate them to the truth. It did not illuminate them to the truth. I'm not saying you shouldn't study. I'm not saying you shouldn't dig into the Word of God. But I'm saying we ought to have the glory in its right place that as I study, if I learn something, then thank God for illuminating me to that. The head's off, off kilter in a lot of places. Paul says to the Colossians, not holding the head. You know what they've done? They've sent the Lord Jesus off and they've put themselves in a place of glory. That's a, that's a terrible mistake. So verse 10, He was in the world and the world was made by Him and the world knew Him not. We said, I, I believe it's true. I believe this is true pre-incarnation. And of course, we know in the incarnation it was true. He was present <clears throat> and His glory and power was visible in the creation, in the created order. The Word of God was in the world before Jesus was in the flesh. Isaiah was crying, Thus saith the Lord, as were all of the prophets. There was Moses bringing about mighty works. How, did, how was that done? By the Word of God. God said, Moses, you do this in the morning. Moses, hold your rod out over the Red Sea. Moses, you go to Pharaoh. All of that was brought about by the Word of God. He was in the world, and He was the maker of the world, and the world didn't recognize Him. Remember Pharaoh's words, Who is the Lord that I should serve Him? That's defiant. That's evil. But Pharaoh didn't know who He was. He didn't. That, he was being legitimate. He didn't know who God was. But God was going to reveal Himself. God was going to manifest His glory. And still, with all the manifestations of His glory, the mighty works that He brought, the deliverance that He brought, the people being baptized in the Red Sea and drinking out of the rock and eating the bread and quail from heaven that God sent, still yet they all died in the wilderness. They didn't know Him. He came to His own and His own received Him not. That's true of the Incarnation. That's true pre-Incarnation as well. How many times in the Word of God can you find now that Israel was on top of the world and doing the will of God as they ought to do? How many times can you read that there was no idolatry that there was no rebellion against the law, that all was rosy and they were doing great. You don't ever find that. The closest, I believe the closest you can find to lives in that order and in that shape for Israel as a whole was during David's reign. And David's going to lay with Bathsheba and have Uriah killed. Now, there's never been there's never been a worldwide knowledge of the truth and there's never been, even in Israel, a complete acceptance. What was it Elijah said? He said, I'm the only one left. 
And as Elijah looked, he couldn't see anybody that was still serving God and standing up for the truth. And God said, Elijah, I have 7,000 reserved to myself. I've kept 7,000. But compared to the whole, it was a remnant. And it's a remnant today. You want to look at the world, you want to look at countries, or you want to look at church denominations, there's a remnant that truly know the Lord and the rest have not received Him. So in Amos chapter 3 verse 2, this is what he says of Israel, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. God had intimately revealed Himself to His own. They were His own by His choice. He had given them law. He had given them sacrifice. He had given them a priesthood and a temple. And He had dwelt among them. And they had an intimate knowledge of the God of heaven that the rest of the world did not have. And yet, they were rebellious and sinful. Is that not what man is? Is that not what you are? That's what we are. And man wants to pooch his chest out and say, you ought to be as good as I am. And if you'd done what i done, you'd be a lot better off. And if you lived like I lived, if you prayed like I prayed, when the God's truth is you get down to the brass tacks and here we ever one are. Outside of the grace and power of God, we'd all be. There's no telling. So it's God that's brought where we are. The world didn't know Him. His own didn't know Him. True today, isn't it? The world doesn't know Him. And how many in the church world, His own, they don't know Him either. It's something, ain't it? Here's the Creator of all things, the God of heaven and earth, the source of life, and nobody knows Him. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, you men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have slain. So, Peter says, this man stood among you. This man taught among you. This man was approved of God among you by the works that he did. So what he's saying is, when he's healing the blind and raising the the lame and bringing the dead back to life, those are evidence, those are indications that God's favor is upon this man. And yet they still did not know Him. And today, we read of these things. We say we believe the Word of God's true, but we're not going to come to the truth. Now, isn't that something? How can that be? How can Jesus walk among His own people that were looking for Him to come from heaven and them not know Him? I tell you what we are. We're dependent on God for all things. And if we know Him, 
It's not because we were His brethren. James, the writer of the epistle of James, that was Jesus' half-brother. And James rejected Him while He was alive. We see all of His brethren reject Him. But James says this, of His own will begat He us by the word of truth. That's James chapter 1. You can find it. James didn't say, I was his brother and I grew up with him and I recognized him when nobody else did because that wasn't true. That's not true for anybody that's saved. Growing up in it's not enough to bring a man to the knowledge of the truth. These people grew up with him and they knew him not to know absolutely. That's what the word means. So verse 11, He came into His own and His own received Him not, but as many as received Him. To them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. So that's not the end of the sentence. But we're going to stop there and let's look at this verse. Here is a verse that's used against us very often. And this is the way it's said. You've got to receive. Verse 18, to take, get a hold of. And man uses this verse to prove it's a work of man in order to be saved. See, God's giving grace and giving understanding to everybody on earth and what you do determines whether you're saved or not. But as many as received Him, to them... Who's getting the power? And power's an unfortunate word there also. It really means privilege or delegated influence. So God is giving these that receive Christ the privilege of becoming a son of God. So there is now, can we... Can we say this? There must be a reception of the individual in order to become a son of God. I do not argue with that. I believe that's exactly what the text is saying. Those that receive Him, they're going to be the ones that become a son of God. And only them. It's not universalist, but... Right here, we're narrowing the number of people that are saved down. And it's narrowed down to them that receive Him. So, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, familiar, you probably got this one memorized. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So faith is a requirement in order to come to God. There must be a reception of the truth of the Word of God. Now, can I say that because I received Him, that's why I'm saved? And see, what that does is you're setting the head aside again and you're saying, it's me that got me here, really. It it wasn't anything uh, that God did, but... What I did is what made the difference. God enabled me and I done it. And see, God's God's enabled these other people, but they've not done it. 
So I'm a little better than they are. Maybe you wouldn't say it like that, but think about it now. You're saying you did something that somebody else didn't, given the same opportunity. You're saying that you're just a little step above them. But that can't be true. So to them gave He power. Hosea 1 verse 10. The number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place it was said unto them, Ye are not my people. There it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. So a prophecy looking forward to the time that the Gentiles, who were not God's people, were going to be brought in and be saved. But notice that this is not a natural birth. It's not that I'm born into the right family or that I'm born into the right church and it's there that I'm raised up and taught and that results in this. Because in the place it was said, ye are not my people, it shall be said. So there's a work going on here in the background, wouldn't you say? God is doing a work to change the family that I'm a part of. In Galatians 3 and 26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. So those that receive Christ, they are children of God. (coughs) Brought in and adopted in to God's family. Made heirs of God and join heirs with Jesus Christ. It's true. So let's read those two verses together again now. Starting in verse 12. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So if you notice the punctuation, you've got a a colon at the end of verse 12. That's continuing the sentence. Your period, the end of the sentence, is not till the end of 13. So this is one thought. I'm not making that up. You can look at it in your Bible. We're accused of so much. It's just not true. I'm not trying to make the Bible say anything that it doesn't speak itself. But what you've got in the previous two verses is a great rejection. And it looks like nobody's going to believe. The world didn't know Him. And His own people didn't know Him. But there are going to be a few that's going to receive Him and receive the privilege of becoming a son of God. That word become there, it means to cause to be, generate, to come into being, to become. So who's bringing this about? Well, it's God that's bringing this about. Which were born, that word, to procreate, to regenerate. It's in Matthew, if you look in Matthew 1, you're going to see the lineage of Jesus and it's translated as begat. And Jacob begat Judah. David begat Solomon. That's not a work of the child. 
That's a work of the Father. The child in his natural birth has no part or control over that work. Who's doing that work? Well, the begatting of Judah, Jacob done that work. Is that not true? In the begatting of Solomon, David did that work and Solomon had nothing to do with that work. Cannot not be true spiritually as well. We understand that when we read it about David and Solomon. Well, here we've got God bringing children into His family and they are born. They're begat. So where did this birth come from? Now listen, listen closely. Man says the birth occurs once you do something to receive it. And so the the place that the birth comes from is my move to the altar. My work that I did begins the birth. The, The little word of here in verse 13, it means origin. The point from which action proceeds. So I'm going to read it and we're going to walk down through it. I'm going to change of with originate. And that's not changing things. That's what the word means. I believe we can see it just a little better. Which were born not originating in blood. So what's blood? Blood was very important to Israel. They traced their bloodline all the way back to Abraham. And it was that blood the bloodline, the family line, they had a lot of trust and faith in who they were as people. They had a great book down at the temple and and it was a book of generations. You wonder how Matthew or how that Luke can get these generations of Jesus. Look at how many years is covered in those uh, uh, genealogies of the Lord Jesus in Matthew and Luke. They had it on record down at the temple. There was a book that traced the lineage all the way back. That's where it came from. And they trusted in the bloodline. I am from Abraham. And I'm a child of Jacob. And Paul said, I'm of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. There's not a place in my family lineage where a Gentile's blood ever marred me. I am a pure-blooded Hebrew. And that... All of these qualifications, it's putting me above other people. But this birth did not originate from my family line. My bloodline and my family and my family tree had no effect upon this birth. That's not where this originated from. Not of blood. So... In 1 John 5 verse 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So God is the begatter. Same word, same writer as well. And in John 3 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. So the work of God is necessary. 
in the entrance, and even in the seeing, the perception of the kingdom of God. I believe in chapter 1 you can say this, the birth is necessary in recognizing who the Lord Jesus is. Because the world didn't recognize Him. Israel didn't. But here's a group that did. And what was it about these people that made them recognize the Lord Jesus? Wouldn't you say that's a fair question? Why is it that out of the entire world and out of all of the church, why is it that you know who the Lord Jesus is? It's not of blood. Matthew 3, 9, Think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. So don't think that Abraham being your father is going to benefit you because God can take the gravel in the driveway and make children of Abraham. That's got nothing to do with whether you're righteous or not. In Romans chapter 9 verse 8, that is they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as seed. So in Romans 9, what he's, he's looking here at, at Ishmael and Isaac and also at Jacob and Esau. And you know Esau's children, they didn't inherit any of the promise. And Ishmael's children, they didn't inherit any of the promise. They were children after the flesh. Ishmael was as much a child of Abraham as Isaac was. And Esau was as much a grandson of Abraham and a son of Isaac as Jacob was. But the flesh has nothing to do with it. It's not who I am that caused me to recognize the Lord Jesus. Well, I had a good mom and daddy. I am so glad that you did. Esau did too. Didn't he? Ishmael did as well. So this did not originate in blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor did this originate by the will, the determination, the choice, the purpose, or the inclination of the flesh. This recognition of the Lord Jesus was not something that I determined that I wanted to know. Now is that the case for you? It didn't originate in my will. In Ephesians 2, verse 2, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Was this you? I mean, it's everybody according to the Scripture. So the will of man was not... I was not inclined, nor did I choose or prefer to come to Christ. My choice was to go the other way. 
That was the will of my flesh to rebel, to prove my authority, and to and in Titus as well, three and three. We ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And you can look in Romans 3 and you can read about the condition of man on his own. What's man inclined to naturally? To sin. And that's every man that's born. Every man that's born is born corrupt and he's inclined to sin and he's inclined to rebel and go away from God. So this birth can't originate in the will, the determination of my flesh, nor of, so to originate, in the will of man. So this was not my bloodline that brought about this birth. It was not my will or determination that brought me into the kingdom of God, nor was it the will of those around me that brought me into the kingdom of God. I I believe there's other places that states it, but maybe not as plain as right here. But this thought of you saving other people and you getting them in, and I've heard it said this way, God's going to pour your prayers out on them and they'll come. Boy, the head's still in the wrong place. It's me that's doing the work. Do you see that? It's my work that's getting them saved. And so when you testify, if I prayed you into it, when you testify, you ought to say, I thank Joseph for praying me in. Now that's rotten, rotten doctrine. But that's what you've heard over and over again your whole life. You know what that is? That's to bring an emotional response. That's for an emotional revival. But it's not by the will. (coughs) This birth does not originate in the determination of man around me. That's what he says in the Scripture. In Genesis 25, 28, And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob. You know what Isaac's choice was? Isaac had determined. His will was. Esau, you go kill me a a deer. You bring me the meat and I'm going to give you the blessing. That was the determination of Isaac. You know the whole story. In Genesis 17, 18, And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might walk before thee. You're going to have to put him out. And Abraham is broken. He loves the young man. And oh, that Ishmael would walk before thee. And God's heart just melted and said, I'm going to give in, Abraham. I'm going to let you have your way. It didn't happen, did it? Ishmael was put out. Esau's going to be put out. Why? Not the determination or the will of man, but the will of God brought that about. Genesis 48. Now here's Jacob. He's about to die. Joseph's got his two boys. And Joseph bringing his boys in before Jacob. 
He puts his oldest one at Jacob's right hand, puts his youngest at Jacob's left. And you know what Jacob's going to do. Jacob's old, he's blind, he's dying. But Jacob's going to cross his hands. He's going to put his right hand on the young one. And Joseph says, this is Genesis 48, 18, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. You got your hand in the wrong spot. See, Joseph's choice was that the firstborn get the, the, big, the firstborn's blessing. But Jacob, Jacob knew what he was doing. It was not a mistake. And Jacob wasn't foolish and blind. Jacob says, I know what I've done. He says that there. But in Hebrews 11, there's not a lot said about Jacob in Hebrews 11. But this is said in Hebrews 11, verse number 21, By faith Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph. Now what about God? That's what God's going to include about Jacob in the book of Hebrews. You think he had any direction from God on what to do? It wasn't going to be up to Joseph. In Romans 9.12, we've got a quote that was said to Rebekah, the elder shall serve the younger. So it don't originate in man doesn't originate in the will of the flesh, and it doesn't originate in bloodline. So what brings about this birth? If who my family is doesn't bring about a birth, if what I choose doesn't bring about a birth, and, you know, things will be twisted and say, well, well, you did come to Christ. You wanted to come to Him. And that's why He saved you. But back up just for a minute. When I came, I wanted to come. I come running. I said, I I remember, God, if if you'll speak to me tonight, I'll go. I remember that. But how did that come to be? Was that the way I always was? No, God, God had done a work. God had convinced me of the truth. It was God that changed me. Before I ever come to the altar, I never wanted to do that before. Ain't that something? And then all of a sudden, so no, don't get it out of whack and don't put the cart before the horse. Keep everything in order. Not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. This birth originates in God. Where did action proceed from? From God. Not me. Not the church, not my family tree, but God was the originator of this birth. It was His direction. It was His choice. He says in John 3, 8, The wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whether it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now, he is not saying you hear it translated and interpreted this way. Well, I'm born of the Spirit, so I just blow wherever I want to. No, what he's telling Nicodemus about is a new birth. And Nicodemus is saying, how does this new birth happen? Well, it's like the wind, Nicodemus. You don't know where the wind comes from. You don't know where the wind goes. You don't know 
why it comes when it does come. That's the way the birth of the Spirit is. You can't put your finger down and say, this is why God saved me that day. It was because Daddy finally prayed enough to convict me. It was because the church got in a revival and they got so on fire for God, that's why God saved me. It was because I'd read enough chapters in the Bible or I had done good enough that week. No, 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 no. You can't say any of that and say that's why the wind blows. No, you got no control over that. This originates in God. I'll read one more verse and we'll, we'll stop and pick up here next time. Romans 8, 29. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. So John says in chapter 1 that this new birth originates in God. And Paul is saying in Romans chapter 8 that this birth that occurred in the lives of them that are saved originated in God's foreknowledge and His forelove of my soul and of yours. Not because I did, God showed love. Not because the church did, God showed love. Not because of who uh, the family is, but by God's foreknowledge and forelove, God showed love when I had none for Him. The only thing that originated in me was sin and rebellion and corruption and hatred. And when we were yet sinners, Christ...